this episode, we're going to talk about adoption, as detailed in the Ninth Article of Faith in the Church of the Nazarene. Also, we're going to discuss the secular and the sacred, and talk about the need for having aspirations in life. And when you consider taking leaps of faith in your Christian walk, you should take leaps of faith on what service you can do for the kingdom of God and not what worldly things you can receive. And we're going to talk about all of that and more. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Anthony Alegria. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And right. Let's get right into our first topic because we're going to do more of a segment-driven podcast this. So we'll have one segment, then we'll have a break with a commercial, and then we'll come back with a little bit different topic. First, we're going to talk about the sacred and the secular. These two things which often find themselves in tension, and we find a lot of people in the church who are really driven by approval of the secular world. There are people who they just really crave to have secular approval. But that's not always the case. But jumping into this conversation, I want to open up by saying, we have, in our modern world, lost a mode of thinking that lends itself towards righteous aspiration. We hear arguments like people saying, well, we can't have high standards because there will be some people who fall through the cracks and not everybody reaches the high standards. Therefore, we should just do away with aspirations of excellence. Now, there are reasons why those arguments were made and there are legitimate reasons to have concerns with things, but at the same time, we should not do away with a mode of aspirational thinking. We've kind of watered our world down to where everything has equal weight and we're no longer able to think clearly. One should have aspirations in their Christian walk. Furthermore, one should be making leaps of faith. And again, to reiterate what I said earlier, is that whenever we make leaps of faith, they should be leaps of faith in what you can do within the kingdom of God, not leaps of faith in what worldly things you can receive. So that's just some interesting starting points. Now I'm going to ask Anthony to read Exodus chapter 18 verses 21 and we'll go further into this conversation on the sacred and secular and what goals you should have in the kingdom. Exodus chapter 18 verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Alright, this is one of my favorite scriptures. And not that I'm writing out scriptures, but this is one that I frequently point to when I, people ask me what is sanctification. They want to ask what holiness is and what righteousness is. In this verse, we find a very good definition of holiness, but we also find a good set of aspirations. We find this statement that you will find people who, one, they fear God, which, again, three points here. They fear God, they're trustworthy, and they hate dishonest gain. The point of fearing God, that basically means they recognize that God is sovereign in their life and that they live under the jurisdiction of God. That second point, we often translate as trustworthy or righteous. It is trustworthy or righteous, but it's specifically being trustworthy and righteous under the law of God. You are someone who is loyal. You have allegiance to God. And that third point, you are hating dishonest gain. You are actively trying to dissolve the evil in the world. So you're kind of like a warrior in the kingdom and you have goals and aspirations. And even within verse 21, we find this next phrase. You'll place them over thousands, some over hundreds, some over fifties, and some over tens. There's an idea that people are placed in different stations in life because people are in different places in life. Some people, they might be placed over ten people because that may be all they can handle. Others might be placed over a thousand because they're good with working for a thousand. You might, on the flip side, have a thousand people who are really easy to work with so you don't have to have an extremely skilled leader over them. Whereas you might have 10 people who are extremely unruly and you've got to have five people <laughs> coming together as a committee trying to hold together some chaotic situation. 
But the point is within this is that there are different situations in life and there are people who have different levels of equipment in life. And they've been tooled differently and maybe they've reached different levels of holiness there. Again, sanctification is something which we do grow with it. There's a distinct point where one is sanctified, but at the same time as one matures in their spiritual walk, people are at different levels and people need to be handed different situations. And in this scripture, we find that, that there are people being placed in different things. Well, let's go to our roundtable discussion, and let me ask the question. First off, in our world, I really think we have lost the mode of aspirational thinking. We have moved away from looking to goals and saying we should get as close as we possibly can. And I just want to ask the question, have, has our culture really gained anything in doing this? I'll throw it to Pastor Amanda, and we'll go around. Okay. Well, um, as you were kind of preferencing all this, I was thinking, um, currently I'm, I'm studying um, for a degree, a, a master's in teaching English as a second language. And, and it's interesting if we look at um, kind of the, the trend in the history of how we arrive to our, our current educational paradigms. Um, and, and I think they very much exemplify some cultural shifts that we're having in our world. And to answer your question about lowering the bar and how that helps us, um, we can see that very early on in the American educational system, there wasn't a lot of support for English learners. And then they thought, okay, well, because they're not achieving, we'll lower the bar. And then they realized, well, that's not working because obviously they're not achieving their either in their language skills or in the content areas about actually understanding and then mastering any kind of uh, subject matter. And so now they're saying, okay, what can we do? Because obviously we have to have something has to change from there being no support, um, but we can't. it's not as simple as lowering the bar. And so this is where scaffolding comes in, differentiation, and various other models and methods, methodologies. So now the current strategy is that there's one standard. However, there's all these different ways that we can help different students, whether they're language learners or exceptional learners uh, or general ed, uh, education, that they can now achieve the one standard. And the reason I bring all that up, um, maybe that was a little bit of a long example, is because I think our world is seeing all these different things and they're trying to figure out how to achieve the goal. And some have said, okay, we can just give up, lower the bar. Some have said, okay, let's try to use some structure, but they have the wrong structure. And some people have, you know, a sim somewhat good structure. And, and there's this battle I think that's going on in our culture. And really I think it's been happening for for a very long time where we're trying to figure out how to be people uh, to achieve and to be the best we can be. Um, but I just, and we can see definitely in our culture and trying to, in this conversation where we have lost it a lot of times is I think it is, it's easy to give up and just say, okay, no standard, then we don't have to think about it. We don't have to worry about it. It's just everybody do as you do. And then that way, um, I don't know, it's just easier, it's simpler, it's less stressful. And yeah. the consequences, as we've seen, has just it's just it's caused more chaos versus lessening the chaos. Yeah, and it's it's sad because a lot of times it's done in saying, Oh, we want to help this group, but it ends up hurting that group by not right. elevating them up. And it's it's really sad. Mike, what do you think about this? Well, uh, I think it's Thomas Sewell who talks about how devastating it is to lower the bar and it not only has just uh the devastating consequences, uh in that particular thing, but it's also devastating in a philosophy of a way of life. So it really is, uh, um, destroys aspirations. Yeah, and that's one of the things, it actually gives people liberty. And I like to use the example of say, learning to, to play an instrument. If I were to go in and get a keyboard and just slap around on it, you know, it'd sound pretty bad. But if someone is, is a student and they're learning to, to play the piano and they get to where they can play their first song, and I've taught piano lessons before to people, and I know when they, they get to that first recital they have, a lot of times they're nervous, and, but after people have made that first song and they've done it, there's, there's an amount of joy 
for, for the smaller children, they want to show their parents, oh, look, I can do this now. And, and there's a moment of excitement where you say, I have actually reached somewhere and there's wonderful things which can happen in life. Anthony, what are your thoughts on this? Um, well, I just think that a lot of times people will see aspirations and uh, they will throw it out just because either they themselves can't make it or they think other people can't make it. And that that is a huge disservice, um, even to those who can't make it because there's nothing to aim for if you don't have any aspiration. Yeah, and in the kingdom of God, there is an idea that says everyone, no matter who you are, no matter how great you think you are, you are insufficient. It is the agency of the divine that will come and elevate you. The transformation, it is, it is coming from Christ. It is through the, the working of the Holy Spirit. Again, it is through the faith of Jesus Christ even that we are saved. And we have this understanding that as we grow and we spiritually mature, we, we do become more and more Christ-like. And we should have this aspiration of truly living like Christ. And one of the things which I have realized is in life, a lot of times people, they have this mode of thinking which again, when they, they come to, to faith, they say, well, I'm going to take a leap of faith that you know I'll, I'll get something. There's some want or need. A lot of times it's even a legitimate need in life. And they say, well, I'll just take a leap of faith that it will come. But they're, they're doing things usually by worldly standards that you'll have something here and now. And again, we just went through St. Patrick's Day and now we're coming up on Easter. And I, I look to people in the history of the church and I love to read the works of St. Patrick because he basically has this mentality that says, look, if in life, God blesses you and you've got a beautiful family, you have a beautiful villa next to the seaside and you've got a wonderful business and everything is like nice and easy and you've got a lot of wealth, that, that's great and wonderful and be glad that you, you were blessed by that. However, if you're someone who was dealt the card of, of being stolen as a child and you, you were paying penance for the sins you did even as a child, even though you may be like St. Patrick who's taken to Ireland to be a slave, he has this mentality that says, you know, we deserve this. We, we sin as children, and in life, we're really entitled to nothing. And, and one's expectation should be that everything you get in life is a blessing. And you should not be trying to store up things in the world, but instead looking to the hope that is found in Christ Jesus. Because when real tragedies in life come, and I don't mean the tragedy like you ordered something at the fast food restaurant and they gave you the wrong meal or something like that, but a real tragedy like losing someone or, or having an ailment come that, that disables you or something which actually has a massive change, the things that really try people's faith, the only hope that can ever be found in those things is in Christ Jesus. I mean, Amen. our bodies decay, our things happen, people pass away, and the only hope that will ever come to people is that storing up in eternal life things of eternal value that we could be together again. Um, coming back around to, to Pastor Amanda, we, we do have this mentality, going back to the sacred and the secular, where people have a lot of times, they've thrown away standards for what is sacred. And this is something you find a lot in church architecture. Right now we're putting up a steeple, so I'm ready to talk church architecture. We, we've got one ready to go up, hope to have it unveiled by Easter. But you know, there's something beautiful about having a, a steeple and having things around us that point to the sacred. Um, what are your thoughts on, as we have watered down signs of the sacred, people have lost the, the goal of moving towards the sacred? Um, again, I, I think, first of all, we have to be able to have the, the skills to, to judge rightly. Um, and that, of course, starts with who God is. And, and the reason I start there is I can tell you um, a, a big shift in, in church architecture specifically is this multi-purpose room. 
And a lot of times, a lot of people really liked it um, for various reasons. And, and some people liked it simply because it was cheaper. And they did not want to invest in something um, that pointed beyond themselves. I am a pastor at a church that is a multi-purpose room. But we did that because we wanted to invest in something different, into people, into the other properties that the church owned, which were houses for, for young adults who are being leaders in the church. And so we have to have the skills to look at something and say, okay, I can't say no to multi-purpose rooms, can't really say a sweeping yes either. But what I can do is evaluate what is going on and how this is pointing to God. And so as we look at our world, we can definitely look at certain things that have been misused or abused by the church, some structures or systems or forms. And our world has gone, okay, that was bad, let's throw it out. And as the church, we have to say, okay, no, what was the primary expression of that form? What is really going on here? And for specific reasons, if we want to talk about sacred space, why is there a sanctuary that is separate from everything else? Why do we need a specific place that points us, that makes us physically enter into a posture of an understanding and worship and, and just basking in the presence of our God? Why do we have that? Now, can that be achieved through other means? Yes. But we have to see what that really is and what we're really striving towards. And I think maybe the primary problem with a lot of this is we have the wrong goal. And if our goal is simply to do whatever is cheapest or quickest or the fad of the year or decade or even millennium, we've missed the point. And we're never going to aspire or have the skills to aspire to anything if our aspiration is in the wrong place. Once our goal is in the right place, then we have to think of the structures and the systems and the methods that will get us to that goal. And, and in either of those process, whether in the goal or in the method, we can mess up sometimes. But I think that's why we continually... Uh, seek after a God who, who, fantastically enough, takes the secular and makes it sacred. That, that's which, the, which is very different from the opposite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very different from the opposite. Because we do find people doing that. They take the sacred and make it secular instead of the other way around. Pastor Mike, talk to us a little bit about that. We, we do see people in the world who they, they really want to move towards not just something which is low church in general, but they just want to kind of throw out all, all standards of church altogether. Well, the, uh, the movement towards taking the sacred and sort of watering it down to where it is no longer recognizable as such. Well, it's definitely uh, a trend that we have seen in many different places within uh, the, the sacred church. But in the end, uh, you know, I think our theology points us to a God who brings us out of whatever bondage or addiction or anything and so we must continually stay focused on the fact that you know um, God calls us out into the sacred uh, he calls us to be a holy people and it belongs to God therefore it is relationally sacred uh, just because of who it belongs to and that's God so when it's when it gets into uh, going back into the common or the mundane or or whatever it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but what it does mean that it doesn't belong to God, and that is uh, truly, um, you know, going down a road of uh, di diminishing the aspirations for sure. Pastor Mike, I want to let you expand on something you said earlier. Something like addiction. You know, when there's a goal of I want to be free from an addiction, 
You know, taking away that goal really does hurt people because there's actually liberty and there's hope in saying I can actually find freedom and stuff. Would you expand a little bit on that? Well, absolutely. I think the good news is that there is transformation in the kingdom of God, in the in becoming gods. We are, uh, and of course we're moving in towards adoption, but we belong to God and something is totally different, a new creature, a new creation, uh, a new way of life. And so this you know, when we pray, we pray. Not, there's not a specific, uh, um, you know, um, wording that is better over one or the other. But we often pray in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, because it is a reminder that we have been baptized. It's a reminder of our baptism that we we have died to sin, that we are raised to new life, and that we are alive in Christ. All right. Now I'm going to throw this over to Anthony. And one of the other areas where we really see this is actually in the, the format of worship music. And this is something which I know is a pet peeve for a, a lot of different people. But a lot of our music, we find things that talk about awakening. I know I saw an ad for a church, some software that's kind of like Adobe Spark. It makes graphics and it had one that was like, awake me, something which it does, it doesn't even fit into like English, even remotely like people who, nobody would speak that bad. And it just, but we find in, in music, there's this, movement in church worship where it's all entry-level Christian things, sort of spiritual infancy, things like Wake Me Up, or we find songs like the Shout to the North song, which I like the melody of it, and I like some of the verses, but then it kind of gets to that fourth verse where it's like, Rise Up Church on Broken Wings. And you're like, hold up a second, like this is written in the song, this is, do you not think that the church is ever going to get past that point? Like, are there no goals? Is your goal just to be at that moment where you keep asking to rise up, but you're never going to actually rise up? Like, do you think that the transformation that is told to us there in the New Testament, it's like insincere? Anthony, talk to us a little bit about how there's been a shift in music and it's kind of gone towards this sort of spiritual infancy. Well, I think um, there's certainly a super easy case to be made that uh, the quality of music in general has, at least the theological quality in general, has certainly gone down. Um, I think... In regards to what is sacred, it's really, really easy to identify proper theology within songs versus very clearly improper. But I think what takes um, this whole notion of the sacred a step further is whether or not something is going to be maintained and stable or whether or not it's going to be abandoned with the next wave. Yeah. And I think that's an important part of the, of the sacred, yeah. which sort of takes me to uh, another point which is that there's another part of the sacred. Of course, the most important part of the sacred is its relation to God. But there's another part in this space of the human mind that it occupies that I feel like is really important to consider. And I feel like this is also why Protestants don't really have an idea of the sacred or any real um, relation to it is because we don't take time to set things aside specifically for God, and to do that stably. And so we might lift up, you know, songs of praise to God, but we won't be lifting up particular songs of praise to God in particular times, um, which would really be communicating more along the lines of the nature of God, which is one that is not constantly changing. Uh, Pastor Mike, I know you wanted to give a little bit of a... Well, I, th I think Anthony is exactly right. I noticed someone 
um, asked about video games one time said, you know, it's it's a place where people like to play video games and they escape. And so if we really compare that to what icons did for must, much of the Eastern Church and the ancient church where they... And tell they, us what an icon is real quick for people who may not be familiar with well, an icon. Well, I'll let you explain. The, I don't well, know where you're trying to get me well, to go Well, I was just going to say that an, an icon generally we find it may be on a piece of wood. It oftentimes looks oh, yeah. like a, a hand-drawn picture of a saint or perhaps Jesus himself or you might find something like the Holy Family. I'm not talking about a tablet icon for sure. I'm talking about exactly what Dylan yeah, it, it's is a, saying. It's a picture I... and it's oftentimes hung on, on a wall or maybe on a little table or something where people come and they, they might sit down and pray. But they're kind of escaping into that person's life. Yeah, and so they're not necessarily praying to that that saint or that, that icon or they're definitely not worshiping that. But what they are doing is... Um, uh, remembering the life of this saint and how God worked in that life and it's a place of escapism so it is a sacred yeah. um, not only place but act of, that they're doing there and so w back to the songs you know I, I think uh, obviously with Palm Sunday coming up most pe churches will be singing Hosanna uh, next uh, Sunday with Easter there'll be a lot of uh, churches, you know, and congregations singing, you know, resurrection songs. And so I think there is even a place for the songs of uh, that we talk about with the brokenness, but it has to be um, cohesively put together in a sense where we live in the resurrection and we live in the transformation and the sacred of where God is bringing us. All right. So in wrapping up this conversation, I want to reach out to those in the audience and ask, what what aspirations do you have? What goals yeah. do you have in your Christian world? And and are you moving towards them? Do you have the goal of being more and more Christ-like? Are you, are you looking to have the Holy Spirit come and transform you day to day? What goals do you have? And even within your, your local church community, what are the things that you are doing? Again, are you taking leaps in faith and saying, what ways can I serve? How can I do things to build up and to offer up my own life and even... The, just the, to give the resources I have to the kingdom. What am I doing to store up things that are of eternal value and not just things of worldly value? And we'll wrap things up there. I know, um, final thoughts on this topic? Anybody? We all feel pretty good? I was tempted to call Anthony, Brother Anthony earlier. We've been trying to figure out names for people. I know his, his name is something like Rock Love or something like that if you, you go through it right. Um, Amanda, I know she said she wants to, after being ordained, which will be happening here pretty soon. So for those who listen, something to be excited about, Pastor Amanda, she's up for ordination this year. Yeah. District Assembly should be happening here in just a few weeks. So be in prayer for that. I think Amanda said she wants to be like Captain America, <laughs> Captain Amandica, something like that. Um, but in all jest, we will be back here in a few moments. Hello, ladies. Do you want to sit with this good boy? Oh, yes, I have to do a commercial. If you would like to help grow and improve Kingdom of the Logos, then make sure you have subscribed to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook. You can donate monetarily at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. If you like our content, make sure to hit share and share it with your friends and family. Dog loves you, and more importantly, God loves you. It is definitely more important that God loves you than Charlie loves you. <laughs> Although I guess that's important also. That, that is a vital That is vital true, thing. but...
it is when if one sits down with Charlie, they will realize that Charlie is a sweet dog. A lot of little dogs like him are awful, <laughs> um, and I've known a lot of awful Chihuahuas. And when Charlie first came around, uh, people thought he was biting, but he just his teeth stick out. So he's <laughs> listen just to this brutal stereotyping right here <laughs> in this room right now. Hey, Charlie has reached the aspiration of being a good boy, so he. He, he can be happy about that. Anyways, we're going to wrap up our discussion on Article of Faith 9. I know we, we broke this into three weeks. We've done been doing one Article of Faith. But we thought that justification, adoption, and regeneration all deserve their own conversation. And so now we're going to be wrapping up talking about adoption. And so let's go ahead and have Pastor Amanda read the Article of Faith number 9, paragraph 9.2 and 9.3, just to wrap this up. Right. So this will cover the our quick statement on adoption and then just a concluding statement on the three justification, regeneration, and adoption. So it reads as follows. We believe that adoption is that gracious act of God by which the justified and regenerated believer is constituted child of God. We believe that justification, regeneration, and adoption are simultaneous in the experience of seekers after God and are received by faith, preceded by repentance, and that to this work and state of grace, the Holy Spirit bears witness. All right. We have in the English language the word degenerate, (laughs) but I don't know if we ever use the word regenerate. Um, Just an interesting food for thought. Do we need to adopt that? Regenerate? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's so rare. Um, as we were talking uh, earlier and preparing, it is, it is quite the the the, the narrow path. Um, but yes, we we often I think see degenerate more than regenerate simply and, because and it exists more. Yeah, and also it's one of those words which is kind of thrown out there almost as an exclamatory. <laughs> so I don't know if you would ever yell that someone is a regenerate in that situation. <laughs> so I guess not. Who knows? Um, anyway, so all of these things they are simultaneous. They are distinct moments. That all happened simultaneously there with faith. And by saying that it's a distinct moment, we're saying that it's not some continual thing which goes on for all eternity. When one receives their faith and one repents, they they have all these things that are instantaneously brought in a simultaneous moment. So a lot of churchy language, and let's get to this and talk about it. Adoption. Pastor Amanda, would you just give us some idea of what we even mean when we say adoption? adoption. Does that mean that someone is getting a new new child in their home? What does that mean <laughs> when adoption comes into the language of the church? Oh, uh, we can break out into song. I've had um, the song "The Family of God" stuck in my head. I all have week. too. This yeah. is one of those times I thought I really should have brought like a little keyboard or something <laughs> so I could play it. it. Have like music hour in the middle of the the the, the section. Uh, the yeah, the podcast. But no, and, and I think yeah, it is. It's acceptance into the family of God, and this is something that that's quite wonderful. I've been thinking also in preparing for for this session, um, how much, uh, Pastor Dylan, you've mentioned before some statistics about how family life really impacts us. You know, how having two parents versus a a divided uh, parental kind of figure or just one or the other, how that really affects how we mature, how we grow, how we interact with society as a whole, because the first society we deal with is our immediate family. And what is so wonderful about this article of faith is it says, regardless of how messed up, how broken, how destructive your earthly family was, you now have the opportunity to live in the culture, in the life, in the jurisdiction, in the hope of a godly family. And this family, 
goes far beyond anything biology could ever do. And it expands to encompass the entire world, and not only the entire world, but all of time and space, because you are now connected to people who lived thousands of years before you and, and are connected to people who live thousands of years after you. And this family has, just like any family does, has its rules and, and its... its um, traditions and its ideas, um, but they are these perfect and beautiful goals that now you can be a part of. And I just, I love this one. This one, out of the three of them, I mean, all imp are important. Regeneration and uh, justification are important parts of it. Um, but we are not just justified or regenerated into a lonely life, into this kind of uh, abysmal um, nothingness, uh, into a void. We are regenerated and justified and are now a part of a community that can surround us, encourage us, and help us in this journey. And again, this is family. We find deep within the race is this built-in motive for family, going all the way back to Genesis. And I know I've been preaching out of Genesis, so we've been looking at Genesis a lot. But when you come to this moment in time, God comes and he sees the first man. He looks at Adam and says, you know, you, you're missing something. And he brings him Eve. We find that it is deep within the race that people would be part of family and that they would have a, a family set up. And it's something which transcends time. Pastor Amanda mentioned this. You know, people's bodies, they deteriorate. They pass away. But when you're in the family of God, you are connected to a long line of ancestors and even descendants, provided Christ does not return <laughs> in any upcoming moment. Um, but for those who have gone before us, you know they have descendants and they have ancestors. It is something which transcends time. Our bodies, they pass away. They, they decay and, you know, our, our lifespan physically is only so far. But once you enter into the kingdom of God, there is a new new life. Pastor Mike. Well, I would like to say, you know, in, in the process of adoption, you know, the child generally doesn't have any idea that he's going to or she's going to be adopted or, or, or whatever. It is the, the uh, adopting parents who are going through the work and everything. So it is the same with God who, who is seeking us. Uh, before we even know it, which kind of goes along with what we what we understand about prevenient grace as well. And you had a story you wanted to share too about adoption, didn't you? Well, actually, I did. You know, uh, recently I, was, I had the opportunity to forge another another knife. I had made some knives before, but this time I went to uh, um, uh, a master blacksmith, forger, knife maker. Uh, I think Anthony has a picture of it. It's called Uncle Hank. You got that picture, Anthony? And that's uh, he and I working at his shop uh, at the forge. And in my hand is a knife that I made. And uh, this is the knife right here. It is a grade eight uh, bolt. Uh, heated it in the forge. And uh, like I said, I had made a knife before, but this is, I love how his uh, uh, trademark is Uncle Hank. It's almost like he brings you in. He is the master knife maker. And so he says, you've made a knife before. You're familiar with the, the uh, belt. You're familiar, familiar with the buffing wheel, the, the grinding wheel, and you know how you hammer out and forge and quenching and all of those things. And he said, now, how do you want to do that? And I said, listen, I came to learn from you and he taught me all of these great um, you know skills and you know I had some bad habits and so someone taught him but he brought me in give me extremely care and I'm gonna be honest if you look you can see how I made a slight imperfection uh, in a couple of places but uh, he said let me help you out there 
and lovingly just kind of took me in and he spent lots of time with me to get me to the place of making a, a high quality knife. And so, you know, when God adopts us, he doesn't adopt our ways. We are called to be brought into his ways, for God's ways. And so I think that's a really good story for us to understand. When God adopts us, we move into God's household. And that's why I wanted us to, to start this conversation on aspirations. This idea that as we come into the, to the family of God, and again, there is that hymn, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Oh, now, now we're breaking out into song. Yeah. Now we really are going to be fired by, by me. I always am one who is always like... But the, that, that is the height of holiness preaching. Like, no, it is. Like, oh, yeah, it is the, true. The, the best holiness evangelist that would go around from camp meetings, you, you're, the mark of a good holiness preacher was that you could break out in the middle of your sermon into a song, lead the congregation in two or three verses, and then keep on preaching. And, and show off your knife. <laughs> oh, no, I added that. But. And I will say, the only one who did not break out into song, to my knowledge, is Anthony. I did. I also nodded no to the camera. But beyond that... <laughs> Um, what's an interesting fun fact, I believe, is Charles Wesley's memory started becoming so bad later in life that in the middle of his sermons, he would forget where he was going next. And so he would lead them through a hymn till he could remember it. And sometimes they would be had to lead through two hymns and sometimes <laughs> three hymns before he would get his act together. Well, so maybe that's where it starts. Speaking of people getting their act together, since we've already established the standard of the holiness preacher, <laughs> and Anthony, he wants to wear the bow tie and things of that nature. Like, oh, yeah, okay. Please send um, all knee pads to um, six, uh, 6186 Dalton Church of the Nazarene, then Anthony will wear them while he's at the altar. <laughs> oh, yes. Very good. Um <laughs> And also while it's in the crawl specs, we're having a work day tomorrow, <laughs> yes. and I anticipate making Anthony put some piers in. Needs lots of knee pads. Or, or adjusting some existing piers. Right? Yeah. Keep the floors all nice and level. But back to this whole idea of when one comes into the family of God, if we can get even back to our main conversation <laughs> here, um, there is this understanding that you are being elevated, and you're not bringing your standards and say you've got a bunch of secular stuff, and you're not saying, well, we're just going to, Make everything that was sacred match me. Instead, you are being transformed where you can enter in and you can come closer and closer to the sacred and you can become more and more Christ-like. Again, there's this wonderful thing where God really does want you to be like God. Now, that doesn't mean you become an idol, but he wants you to embody a lot of the virtues and the characteristics that are of God's nature. This is the whole idea of Christ-likeness. Um, and all the way back to the garden, this crafty creature is like, oh, God, I don't want you to be like him in any way. Not true. God wants you to embody a lot of righteous and holy characteristics. This is a huge motif throughout all of Scripture that God is wanting people to come into his family and wants people to be transformed. Amanda? Well, I was just thinking real quick. Um, it, in an earlier section, Pastor Mike was talking about um, how we become gods. And I was like, oh, no, in, in spoken uh, language that, that might be tricky. Uh, what he meant was we become gods as in G-O-D apostrophe S, not G-O-D-S. Um, so that's, I think it's a good clarification when we're talking about Christ-likeness and becoming, um, being made into the image of God, what exactly we're talking about is uh, we do not become eternal um, transcendent beings, although we do have the hope for the, the, the bodily resurrection and having an eternal life. Uh, we never become or morph into or become a part of of God, um, God's um, being, but we, we, we can have the hope of having the character and the nature and the love of God. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that, Pastor Amanda. <laughs>
And th- yeah, I mean, we are live, and we do this. And, I mean, it's not scripted. We we have some general. Well, notes no, and, and it was things. a good statement. I it, just wanted yeah. to add no, no, that it, little caveat. It, this is the reason why we need clear thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of those things, you know. The comma makes all the difference. The yeah. apostrophe, <laughs> the apostrophe, apostrophe, apostrophe makes, makes all, all the difference. difference. We belong to God, not that we yes. uh, elevate we, ourselves in any way, but because of our relationship and belonging to Him, it is such great joy, and we are called to inspire. Yes, and in, and the Holy Spirit is the agent of elevating us. We are elevated, but it's not something which is done of your own power, but it is through the work of, of the divine that we would rise up. And that's that's a really important thing to understand, just doctrinally. Um, any other thoughts before we, we start wrapping up our program? We all good? I think so. All righty. Well, with that being said, send your pitchforks to 6186 Eaton's Creek Road, Jolton, Tennessee. Or if you would like to donate monetarily, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. If you really want to help us out, though, because, again, we're trying to grow a program, just grabbing a link and sharing it, and I know that sounds like such a simple thing to do, but clicking share beneath our, our videos, it does help us out tremendously. And, again, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, CastBox. I think we're on a lot of other podcasting sites. The RSS feed goes out, and I can't remember them all. But do take our podcast with you. We're on YouTube. We're really trying to grow our YouTube audience. We're happy to see some some new growth there. But also we're on Facebook and Instagram and a lot of other places. You can see what we do throughout the week. But please, 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 another quick announcement. Make sure you are supporting your local church. Um, I know Kingdom of the Logos is a place where you can find Christian content online, but it is important to be in part of a, a Christian community. And I know Easter is right around the corner. A lot of people, they say, oh, well, it's my one time to go to church. It is important to be to be faithful to your to your local church. Um, and I just wanted to throw that out there. We all good? Yep. All right. Well, if all hearts and minds are clear, <laughs> God love you and have a blessed day. <laughs>